Chapter 22 The Blessing After the Meal By the time I visited Prague, I had spoken to a number of participants of this story, but I still wanted to talk to those who had knowledge of some of the missing elements of it, so I spent many days looking for them, only to discover that apart from Evo, they were all dead or for various reasons couldn't be found. Even finding Evo wasn't easy. The first place I tried was the Maisel Synagogue. As I stepped through its doors, I heard a handful of voices echoing off the prayer hall walls. Yigadal v'yigadash shmei rabah. They were reciting the mourner's Kaddish, which is a prayer said in memory of the dead that I think is the most beautiful in all of Judaism even if it did lead me down a hole as a young man that I'm still climbing out of. Spoken not in Hebrew, but in Aramaic, it's a haunting prayer. Listeners can hear the cries for comfort and relief in the words of those who say it without even understanding what they're saying. When I was growing up, every Yom Kippur I listened to the mourner's Kaddish from outside our synagogue's prayer hall. I listened to my grandparents and others recite it while thinking that they really were speaking to God. Afterward, I would see the tears on my grandparents' faces as they left the hall arm in arm. Every year, these tears were the same as their mourning for those they had lost never ceased. Even now, I could see my grandmother walking past me in the temple lobby I could see both her and her gentle but firm steps. I could see, too, the gold star of David pin on her dress, the one she only wore on Yom Kippur, the one that helped her through that prayer. This was a prayer that I, too, was reciting when I joined the mourners after walking inside the prayer hall at the Maisel Synagogue. I mourned for both my grandparents, who gave me so much more than a home. I cried for them, too, and for all that was missing in me because of their passing. Upon hearing an unusual voice, some of the people there turned toward me. The rabbi looked at me, too, and he smiled warmly. After the service, I asked him about Evo, but he didn't know him, as neither he nor any of the other rabbis in Yosefov were around at the time of the story or during the years following the war though he was able to guide me to a handful of elderly congregants, and most not only recalled Evo, but did so with great fondness. While none of them knew where he was, or were even certain he was alive, one woman was able to give me an important clue, where he went to work after the communists closed all the synagogues in the early 1950s, during a wave of anti-Semitism, that coincided with what is known as the Slonsky Show Trial. This led me to a little town outside of Prague called Pechki and the Tona Factory. However, the people in the personnel department there insisted that no Evo Pokorny worked for the company, and they refused to give me access to their old files. Dejectedly, I left their office, but as I was leaving the building, an aging man in blue dungarees called out to me and he told me that he was a friend of Evo's. He further told me that Evo had returned to Prague after he retired, and he told me where I could find him. Only months before this, 
Ibo's wife had passed, and he was staying at a nursing home in Haya, in the southernmost part of the city. Early one morning, I came to his open door, and I knocked on it as I tried to introduce myself by saying, Prominte, devote a big servam Before I could even finish these words, Ivo jumped off his bed and greeted me. He greeted me much like how he had greeted my grandfather on the day he met him, likely recognizing how my grandfather and I similarly mangled the Czech language. He knew exactly who I was, and he would provide me with invaluable insights into this story. One of these unfolded at about the same time Herman and Klaus were having dinner with Gertrude. It was then in what passed as his kitchen that Eva was enjoying the enormous serving of potato dumplings that he himself had prepared that evening. He was also recalling the long and difficult day he had had. Not only had there been the strange incident, with the two strange men that morning in the Spanish synagogue, but Lieutenant Krieg in the afternoon had been even crueler to him than usual at the Clausen. Though he took some solace in knowing that the other German was no longer haunting the place, or him, a man who was even crueler to him than the lieutenant, and who would haunt more than just him. Without ado, Ivo finished his dinner while noting how he had found it good, much as he had found it for years. But he could still remember the times before that, the times when he rarely had a dinner, let alone a good one. This made him wish that the blessing were said after the meal instead of before it, as this was when he truly felt thankful. He wished and wished for this to come true. Even though it didn't, he silently expressed his thanks anyway. He further drank the full glass of water in front of him and brought his dish, cup, and utensils to the cracked and stained but tidy ceramic sink by the lone set of windows in his room. There he carefully washed and dried these things, and he placed them on a towel beside the sink, next to the bowl and saucepan that he had used to make the dumplings, and which he had already washed so that everything would be ready for the following night's supper. Using this same towel, he dried his hands as well before taking out his coat and hat from the closet, which he put on as he limped out the door of his room, where he found Mrs. Mlinkova sweeping the hallway, much as she usually did at this time. Much as he usually did at this time, he wished the middle-aged woman a good evening and asked her how she was doing. What a mess this place is, was her response, much as it usually was at this time. I keep telling people to take off their shoes when they come into my house. But do they listen? Do they? I listen, Evo insisted. Only you listen, Evo, the woman insisted back. I swear the next pair of shoes I find, I'll throw them right out the window. This was a threat that was also made nightly, which would become moot a few years later when the onset of communist rule and its banning of servants led to everyone taking off their shoes when entering a home. But it still caused Evo to shudder in horror before he nodded his head and started off. Out chasing the ladies again, Mr. Bocorny, the woman quipped with a grin. Oh no, Mrs. Mlinkova, Evo asserted while shaking his head as emphatically as he could. It's nothing like that, honestly. 
Just be quiet when you return, she told him. Again, Evo nodded. He did multiple times before limping down the stairs to the building's foyer, where he put on his slippers and opened the door. At once he could smell the odor of burning coal in the cool night air, which had been getting fainter as the days had been getting warmer. He could sense as well that it was just about to rain, and he hoped it wouldn't do so too hard. Slowly he limped his way out of the building and north up Maisel Street, though as he approached the Maisel Synagogue, he saw something that caused him to stop under an awning. He saw a woman with a yellow shawl in front of the synagogue's gate, who was gazing at the building in wonder. This was the same woman he often saw lurking by the synagogues at night, and she often fascinated him. But on this night she particularly fascinated him, as unlike before she wasn't filthy and disheveled. She even looked pretty. She fascinated him so much that, with his hands behind his back and without making the slightest movement, he watched her walk up the street. Even after Clara had left his sight, Evo continued looking at the spot where she had been, as she was just as fascinating to him when she was gone as when she was in sight. He only stopped his looking when he remembered that he had something to do that night, which is when he again limped up the street. To reach his destination, Evo only had to walk a little more than a block. Still, it took him more than twenty minutes, as he had to stop many times because his feet hurt so much. Finally, he reached the old new synagogue, and he made his way to the rear of the 13th century building, where he pulled out an old wooden ladder that he had hidden behind a tree. This he placed underneath a set of metal rungs in the synagogue's back wall, which rose from about halfway up the building all the way to an attic door at the top. Afterward, he climbed both the ladder and the metal rungs, doing so one painfully slow step at a time. He climbed them even slower than how he had walked up Maisel Street, but his movements were steady too, and he had a determination that never wavered in spite of all the agony he was feeling. This was because he knew what he'd be doing that night was far more important than any discomfort he was feeling at the moment. Eventually, he reached the top rung of the wall and the door to the attic, where Rabbi Isaacs had told him before he left town was the place for all things unholy. There, Evo took out a set of large and rusty iron keys from his coat pocket, but the largest and oldest he opened the door and stepped inside the room. This brought a smile upon his face, and it only got stronger when he turned on the light and saw what was waiting for him.